Every word of God is pure. And all scripture has been given by inspiration of God's Holy Spirit for our instruction in righteousness. The portion of Sworn as a Basis for our meditation this day is found in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. So far our text. Dear fellow redeemed, in Christ Jesus, who has charged his church, charged us here with a particular command, feed my lambs, take care of the little ones in the flock, on this Christian education weekend, grace and peace be unto you. Gift returns. It's a phrase that we use perhaps mostly at the time of the holidays. And it refers to the, to the custom of being able to receive a gift and then saying, well, it isn't the right size, it isn't the right color, it isn't what I had in mind, and being able to return it. We're using that phrase, though, in a different sense today, gift returns. We're using it in this sense, that uh, when you bring a gift to God, he doesn't return it, except unless you bring it in a heart of unbelief, as did Cain. But when you bring a gift to God, he doesn't go and return it, but he gives a return back. He, re, he supplies back even more gifts. It fits in with the theme of our series, the seven-part sermon series during the summertime, even better blessings. And we've seen in the pattern of how people would come to Jesus looking for something, and Jesus gave them something even better. So it is with our text today. When, when Jesus is asking for a gift, his plan is to get something back even better. May his spirit bless our studies. We see how Jesus uses our gift of, and then you can fill in the blank. You brought, I think all of you brought some gifts to Jesus today. Perhaps the gift you brought was your voice in singing praises to his name. Perhaps you brought some of your material goods to make an offering, a gift offering to Jesus. 
And during the week, we've all been bringing gifts to Jesus in our service, using our gifts and talents in service in the kingdom work. But when you bring these gifts to Jesus, he, or he, he doesn't really need them. We take a look at our text, beginning at verse 6. Jesus has come down, he's traveling through Samaria, he's come to the town of Sychar, and we read that Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That would be noon in our way of calculating time. You see a couple of points coming out here in our text about Jesus. He got tired. The same way that you and I as human beings, Jesus being a true man, also got tired. He needed to sleep. And there were times when he was just plain worn out and needed to rest. And here's one of them where he's very wearied from all that's been going on and all of the journey he's been making, so he sits down because he's tired. And as we read just a few verses later, he's also thirsty, another human trait. Our text reminds us that Jesus is a true man going through some of the very things that we go through. And at our noontime today, perhaps we'll be looking for a glass of water as Jesus was in our text. But we're also going to find out that Jesus is not just true man. Our text is going to remind us he's also true God. While he's sitting by the well, we read verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. There's three very startling things about this statement that Jesus makes, give me a drink. One of the startling aspects of this statement comes out in the next verse. Then the woman of Samaria said to Jesus, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink for me, a Samaritan woman? And the Holy Spirit helps us to understand that when he says, the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The hostilities between these two groups of people ran very, very deep. And the woman is startled that some Jewish person would be speaking to her, a Samaritan. That's one startling aspect of Jesus' statement, give me a drink. A second is found in verse 27. As the disciples came back from buying food, they marveled that he talked with a woman. This was not normal that a man would be talking to a woman out in the open like this. They didn't ask him, why are you doing this? But they did marvel at it. That's the second startling statement, aspect of this statement. And the third startling aspect is probably the most startling, and that is Jesus asking for a drink of water. Does he really need to ask for a drink of water? I mean, he needs to fill his thirst. But remember, this is the Jesus that was able to draw water out of the rock. He, he wouldn't have to go ahead and ask for a glass of water. He's the one who created all the water in the world. He's the one who has command over the lakes, the seas, the rivers. He can part them, he can move them, he can do whatever he wants to with them. Does he really need this woman to give him a glass of water? And the answer is no, of course not. But what's he doing here? He's working at trying to develop a relationship. He's trying to engage this woman. And it works. We read verse 11. The woman said to her, excuse me, said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then did you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? The woman says, <coughs> Jesus said, You know, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me for water. This puzzles the woman because she's saying, Well, you don't even have a bucket. And this well is really deep. How are you going to get water? And you can see her starting to talk 
this Samaritan to this Jew, this woman to this man. She's starting to talk to him. And as she does the talking part, she realizes there's something unusual about this man. Could he be greater than Jacob? Oh, he's far greater than Jacob. And the Savior now goes on to have a dialogue with her. And as he gets this opportunity to talk to her, he's going to do the thing we've been talking about this morning, Christian education. He's going to talk to her about sin. He's going to talk to her about his work as Savior. As you read on in the verses which follow our text, the woman doesn't quite understand it. As Jesus offers living water, she says to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. We are accustomed to going around our house. We probably have six, eight, ten, a dozen places in our homes, inside and out, where we can just turn on a little valve and out comes the water. Wasn't the case for this woman. She had a daily need, perhaps more than just once a day even. She had a daily need of having to go and get water. And it wasn't always easy. She had to travel wherever she was living, go to this well, drop the bucket in, pick it up, carry it back home. Which means you had to do that a couple times. <clears throat> so she sees an opportunity here to have a little bit easier lifestyle. If you got this water, that's so great. How about you give me some, and I won't have to keep making the journey back and forth to the well. So Jesus is going to take this opportunity to give her something even bigger and better. Where does he start? Go call your husband, she, he says to her. And she replies, well, I don't, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, well, in this you've spoken the truth, because you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Oh, this must have just crushed her right into the heart. This woman had tremendous issues, and the big issues of her life weren't trying to go drag a bucket of water back for her body. Her big issues were soul-related issues and a problem of a terrible lifestyle. <clears throat> we get a little bit of a hint of that when Jesus said, you've had five husbands, and now you're living with someone who's not even your husband. And the woman's reputation in town is just destroyed. It is perhaps that it's unusual for this woman to be out traveling on her own, and perhaps it's a reflection of what had happened to her, that the women of the community who would normally be going in groups to do this kind of work said, she's on her own, we don't want anything to do with her. <clears throat> and the men of the town knew this, that this woman's reputation, and she, her conscience must have just bothered her day and night at the mess she had made out of her life. And Jesus goes right to that mess. Go call your husband. He points out to her her sin and what can no longer be kept in her heart is now brought out in the open. She replies, I think you're some kind of prophet because you're talking to me about my past. You're talking about some very deep and personal things. She doesn't reply with, hey, listen, buddy, you're into my personal life. Let's change the subject. She realizes she's got this issue and she goes on to talk to him about his being a prophet, and he, she raises a theological question. You know, I've, got, I've heard conflicting opinions of where we should worship God. Some say over here, and some say over here, and what do you say? And Jesus uses it to underline, <clears throat> to reveal to her a very blessed Bible truth. It isn't where you're worshiping him, it's where you're worshiping him in your heart. Wherever you take that, that's what's good, not the physical place. And you need to worship God in spirit and in truth. And you see what Jesus is doing now. He's, taking, he's moving from a glass of water to sin to salvation. 
And the woman says, well, you know, I, I know I've heard about Christ is coming. And Jesus says to her, boy, what's, what inspirational words, what great verse of scripture when he says to her, I who speak to you am the Christ. I am the Messiah. And those promise, those passages in the Old Testament that she had heard where God would send a Savior and the seed of the woman would crush the serpent, that person is standing before her right now. That one whom Isaiah foretold, that all we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He'll be bruised for our iniquities, for our chastisement will be upon him. That one is standing before her right now. That one who's going to take sins and remove it as far as the east is from the west and drown them in the depths of the sea, that one is standing before her right now. That one, the promised Savior. Well, it's amazing what happens next. She came to the well with a bucket. As far as we can tell, she left it there. She ran back to town. And she's kind of shrewd in how she words this to people. You know, I think I found the Christ. If she had gone back to town and started launching off into a sermon, it's very likely that a lot of people would have said, ah, with her reputation, who wants to even listen to her? But when she challenges them a little bit, well, then they go out to see the Jesus, and there's mission work being done, and a whole group of people here now are learning about sin and the Savior. And they say to the woman later on in, our, in the same chapter, now we believe that that's the Christ, but we don't believe it because you told us. We believe it because we've heard it ourselves. And you see what happens here? A man who doesn't even need a glass of water asks for a glass of water so that he can pour back some really great blessings and engage in a relationship. And we go from glass of water to living water. And he gives back to this woman, verse 13 and 14. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Several things in these two verses. Jesus says, the water that I, he emphasizes, I, he emphasizes the I, so should we. I shall give him, and he repeats it, the water that I shall give him. This water can only come from one place. It can only come from Jesus Christ. So whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst. We might properly put in an extra never. Will never, never thirst. Never possibly thirst. It's very emphatic. And the water that I shall give him will come in him a fountain. It'll just keep on bubbling up unto everlasting life. There is the contrast between the water at Jacob's well which would nourish your body for a period of time, but eventually that body would die. And the water that's coming from Jesus, which nourishes it all the time until life eternal. And think of how that bubbling up takes place. God's Word placed in our hearts, the Holy Spirit using it, and it just keeps bubbling up. And as you search the Scriptures, that water it just keeps bubbling up with all kinds of blessings until finally it ends with home in heaven. You see this also, like when Jesus comes to the house of Mary and Martha and he needs lunch. He didn't really need lunch. He didn't really need them to provide lunch. He didn't need food for his body. But he didn't really need lunch for them to provide it. But as they're working on the noontime meal, Jesus says, oh, by the way, here's one thing that is needful in the parts of the Word of God. And in this section, you see again how 
Here is the true God part of Jesus because he's got all that personal information on this woman because he knows all things. So it is with us, too, as we go about bringing our gifts to God. Just in the past couple of weeks, many of our members have showed up here at church for the different work days. And as they're working on polishing floors and bringing that as a gift, using their talent to serve the Lord as a gift to the Lord, the Lord's pouring back more gifts. As the uh, men are working on cutting down the trees in the back, you can see the remnants there of the oak wilt. As they're working on that, and it's a chore, they're bringing that as a gift offering to the Lord, but the Lord's pouring back more gifts. How so? Well, as you start to think about, why am I here? How come I'm not home taking care of my own yard? How come I'm not home taking care of my other stuff? Why am I not out on the golf course or out fishing? As you use your gifts and talents in the work of the kingdom, you have to, realize, you have to start prioritizing and saying, oh, I'm doing this because Jesus is my Savior, because of what he's done for me, and the gifts recycle from God. And we have a good example of that here on Christian Education Weekend. <clears throat> Many families are traveling to town to drop off the precious gift that God has given them in their children as they bring them back to Campus of Emmanuel. And God is pleased to receive those gifts and give back even more gifts. He'll bless those children as they're left on the campus. He'll bless those children with a strengthening of the faith. He'll bless them with giving them lifelong lessons from the Bible they can carry with them. He'll bless those children as he develops their gifts and talents there in school for use in the work of the kingdom. He'll bless them with lifelong Christian friends and perhaps even a Christian spouse. When we bring our gifts to Jesus, he returns and gives back even more gifts. So it is also with our Messiah building program. We dare not think that we're going to be paying for God for the uh, building project. You remember how that was in the days of Haggai as they were working on the temple and God had to remind the people as they were bringing their gifts, just so you know, all the silver and all the gold in the world is mine. I've been given this to you so you can return it back to me. So God's blessing us first that we might bring back our gifts to him in trying to build an increased area to feed the lambs of God's flock. <clears throat> Isn't this the way of our God to amazing gift-giving program that he set up? He gives us all that we have. It's kind of like the father with a kindergarten child, and it comes to be Father's Day or Christmas or whatever, and the father gives the young child some funds with which that child goes out and buys a gift for dad. Did dad need that particular gift? Probably not. But it's the way with our Heavenly Father to give us these gifts so that we can participate and return gifts to him. And as we return those gifts to him, it's amazing what he does. He gives us even more gifts. Gift returns. The gift-giving plan that God has got. I'll supply you with gifts, and when you return some of those gifts to me, I'll supply you with even more gifts until finally I give you the last gift you'll need, eternal life in Christ Jesus. Amen.